We do it for uh, Mother's Day. Might as well do it for Father's Day too, right? So all the fathers, please stand up. All the fathers, please stand. Let's give a big hand. Very good, very good. Where would we be without fathers, right? But uh, you may be seated. You may be seated. The, uh, Tell me we're going to stay. Yeah, we're the front. <laughs> hold on, hold on. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. What I'd like to do is this. I'm in a season of life right now where I have some older children. And uh, so I want to recognize those dads today that have teenagers. Okay, so what we're going to do is this. If you are a dad here that has any children between 13 and 19, I want you to stand up again. Any dads here who have children between 13 and 19? Yes, all right. Very good. Now, if you have, let's say, uh, only one in that category or less, sit down. Oh, boy, these guys have more than one. All right, if you have two or less, sit down. Scott, you're still worthy. It's all right, man. Okay. Oh, oh we lost Jeff and... Well, here's what I thought. Is This is a little uh, Proverbs journal for you, James. Okay, with some Reese's. What's that? How many do I have? I have like four, right? I have four, so thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right. So let's see. Let's do this. We'll do one more here. If you have been a father for more than 30 years, stand up. You have been a father for more than 30 years. Years. Look at these guys. Let's try it. Man. All right. If you've been a father for more than 40 years, stay standing. So if you're less than 40, you got got a kid that you got to sit down. Okay, wow, we still got. All right, how about 45 years? Woo. How about you have a child that is 50 years old? Man. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Don, I feel like I just want to give this to you right now. I just want to give it to you. How about, uh, Fred, how many years? How many years have you been a father? 51, Frank? 53. 53, Uncle John? 61. Whoa, 61. The reason I'm giving you the journal, too, is I feel you have more time on your hands right now. You can, you know. uh, Those of us who are children still at home, we don't have time to read and journal. We don't have time to do that. 61 years. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. Don't get nervous here. We're not going to read the chapter today. It's only 46 verses. Genesis 
Chris. Do you ever stop, Chris? No. All right. So what I would like to read to you, though, is uh, what Hebrews says about this portion. So you can just listen as we read this in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. It says this, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Let's just open a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is truth. We thank you for your precious word, which is also the word of truth. And we just pray, Lord, that you would um, lead us and guide us into all truth, we pray. And it's his name we pray. Amen. So when we first read of Isaac and Rebekah here, well, first, let me give you the story here real quick. I'll try to quickly in these 46 verses, right? You've got uh, Isaac and Rebekah. They've got the, the twins there, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Isaac now is at the, he feels the end of his life. He feels like he's about to die. He's actually at the same age that Ishmael had died. And so he wants now to bless Esau, his firstborn son. He tells Esau, hey, listen, go get me some, some venison, some game. Make me a nice savory stew. When you come back, I will give you the blessing. Well, Rebecca, his wife, overhears him. While Esau is out hunting, he tells Jacob, hey, listen, I've got a plan. I'm going to take some goat. We're going to cook that up so it tastes like venison. And we're going to have you go in because your dad is old. He can't see anymore. And you're going to pretend to be Esau. And you're going to get the blessing. And so Jacob, with fear of getting caught, he says, well, listen, I, I mean, Esau's hairy. How, how is, am I going to get rid of that? I said, don't worry. The goat that we killed, we're going to take that hair. We're going to put it on your arms and put it on your head and everything else. And, and he won't know. And then we'll get some of Esau's clothes. We'll put that on you. And sure enough, Jacob goes in. Isaac is completely... Um, suspicious, right? Um, asks him several times, which we'll look at um, who he is. And Jacob lies and deceives his father. Um, Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob. Esau comes back after uh, killing some, some deer and making a stew and asks his father to bless him. And Isaac realizes what happened. And he can't bless Isaac now. And so Esau is enraged. Needless to say, wants to kill his brother, and Jacob flees for his life. That's kind of a nice chapter, right, for Father's Day? It's a good one. I was thinking about uh, Dave Parsons was here for Mother's Day. We did the death of Sarah. And here, Father's Day, we're looking at the betrayal of a son to his father. It's, it's nice, but uh, the Spirit knows all these things. So, so when we first read of Isaac and Rebekah, right, uh, we envision, right, a happy spiritual couple. I mean, after all, Isaac was a dedicated man who had put himself on the altar in obedience to the Lord. You remember that from Genesis chapter 22? I believe Isaac was a young man, right? I think in his young 20s, I believe. And he allowed himself to be placed on that altar. There's no way his dad would have been able to put him on there, right? But he was willing to do that, right? And not only that, remember, Isaac trusted God to choose his wife for him, which Josh did a nice job talking about that in Genesis 24. And the wife that God sent, Isaac loved dearly. He loved Rebekah. And so both Isaac and Rebekah, they knew how to pray and to seek the mind of the Lord. You remember Isaac, right? Uh, Rebekah was barren. And Isaac pleaded with the Lord. 
and God gave her children. Hey, what more could a married couple want? But in spite of these advantages, the family self-destructed rather quickly. It began when Isaac asked Rebekah to lie to Abimelech, which you learned last week. Isn't that funny, right? The Isaac doing the same things his dad did. <laughs> you know? But the trust and the respect factor was broken. Both members substituted scheming for trust that they could, so that they could each have their own way. And so the result here is really what we have is a dysfunctional family. A dysfunctional family. A dysfunctional family is one in which there has been a major breakdown in the basic relationships within the family so that the family itself no longer functions properly. What I'd like to just share with you quickly is five problems of a dysfunctional family before we even get into the text here. One of the problems with a dysfunctional family is distancing. Family members who avoid other family members. Another problem with a dysfunctional family is disdain. It may be expressed anger for one another, or sometimes it's actually a repressed anger for another family member. But another problem with a dysfunctional family is distrust, right? And that's seen in the faulty patterns of communication. Nobody trusts each other. And so that leads to another problem of a dysfunctional family, and that is deception. The inability to speak the truth to other family members. How we need to be able to speak truth to our spouse, to our children. And then lastly, uh, the fifth problem with a dysfunctional family is deceit. Refusal to face the truth. Now listen, you may find one or more of these traits in healthy families from time to time. But dysfunctional families, they adapt these traits as a normal pattern of life. And dysfunctional families, right, are not something new, right? They go back to the beginning of time. The real cause of being dysfunctional goes back to the entrance of sin in the human race. I don't know if you remember all the way back in Genesis when I spoke, I said, listen, the reason for all this is Genesis chapter (laughs) 3. The reason for dysfunctional families, right? Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, every family has been dysfunctional to one degree or another. Every family. No one is perfect. Consider the first family, Adam and Eve, right, who blamed each other for their disobedience. Consider their children. Cain murdered his brother Abel. Consider Noah's three sons. Ham disgraced his father, uncovering his nakedness. Abraham lied about his wife Sarah, calling her his sister. Look around you. How many families do you know, including husbands and wives, parents and children or siblings? How many of them do you know that have had or now have currently family problems? (laughs) Now, I want you to look at Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. Unfortunately, all four are presented in a negative light in this chapter. And one of the things I noticed in looking at this chapter, which is really sad, is that all four people never appear together at the same time. Isn't that telling about this family? Even in Scripture, none of them are recorded ever as being together at the same time. 
they've gotten to this point where there's so much distrust and deceit that they're never once all together at one time. It's one sibling with one parent, another sibling with another parent, and so on. And so I think chapter 27 is one of the saddest chapters in Genesis. Everybody is doing the wrong thing, especially Isaac. I want to point that out today. Don't be fooled here. Isaac is probably one of the worst ones here. And again, we know that Isaac is one of the outstanding types of Christ in the Old Testament. And certainly he was in Genesis chapter 22. But Isaac is no type of Christ here. He is a type of, if he is a type of anything here, he is a type of a backslidden, carnal, worldly Christian. It is a sad fact that while we, right, at one stage in our lives, we can mirror the beauties of our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet at another stage reflect the exact opposite. Once Isaac was a Christ-like man. Once he was obedient unto death on Mount Moriah. Once he was a well digger, leaving behind a trail of blessing and refreshment for others. But that was a long time ago. In fact, 37 years has passed since the events in the previous chapter. Isaac is now 137 years old. His sight has failed. He thinks he's about to die. And he has now become sadly unspiritual. And so my prayer for us this morning is this, Lord, help us to finish well, right? Help us to finish well. A good beginning does not guarantee a good ending, right? That's one of the repeated lessons in scripture. And it's tragically confirmed in the lives of so many people. Remember Lot, we learned about Lot already. Terrible finish, right? Gideon. Samson, King Saul, King Solomon, and in the New Testament read of Damas. All these guys, good beginnings, terrible finishes. And now you can add Isaac to that list as well. And so let's look at each family member and see how they contributed to the problem. And so in verses 1 through 4, what we're going to see here is Isaac's decline. Isaac's decline the story begins with isaac believing that he is about to die as we mentioned he's 137 years old his stepbrother ishmael he had died at this age and perhaps that's what makes isaac think he's about to die well he was mistaken right he's going to live another 43 years you'll find that out in genesis chapter 35 he dies at the ripe old age of 180 years old And yet, even though it's 43 years, right, until his death, Isaac's thoughts are full of death. And two things I want you to notice here, two things that occupy Isaac's mind and governs Isaac's heart. The first one is his palate. That's what governs Isaac's heart here, his palate. He wants to enjoy a good meal of venison cooked by his favorite son Esau. Stress here is placed on the love that Isaac had for wild game and tasty food, which I understand. Okay. Now listen to this. When Abraham prepared for death, his concern was to get a bride for his son Isaac 
to maintain the covenant promise. When King David came to the end of his life, he made arrangements to what? Have the temple built, right? Paul's burden before he was martyred was that Timothy be faithful to preach the word and guard the faith. But Isaac, the man who we said read about, he meditated and prayed in the fields at evening, who petitioned on God's behalf for his wife. He just wanted a savory meal of venison. His palate governed his heart. Instead of seeking to heal the family feud that he and his wife had caused by their selfish favoritism, Isaac perpetuated the feud and destroyed his own family. But not only that, not only did his palate govern his heart, but also his ballot. You see, Isaac's fondest dream was to ensure that before he dies, his son Esau obtained that cherished blessing. He sends Esau on a hunt for some game so he can bless him before he dies. What's wrong with that? Right? I mean, ordinarily, nothing would be wrong with that. Esau was who? He was the firstborn. Right? But before the boys were born, what was Isaac told? God told Isaac and Rebekah that Jacob, the younger son, was to receive the covenant blessing. God told him. And yet, Isaac still plans to give the blessing to Esau. Surely, Isaac knew about what Esau did with the birthright. I'm sure he did. Okay? That he had despised his birthright and sold it to Jacob. Right? And, if you recall in the last chapter, Esau really disqualified himself. Right? By marrying heathen women. And so, none of that matters to Isaac. He wants his favorite son to have the blessing. That's his choice. That's his ballot for the blessing. And if he has to connive to make it happen, that's exactly what he'll do. If he has to deceive his wife and other son, then so be it. Did Isaac really think that he could fool God? That's what he thought. Isaac thought, hey, I'm going to pull one over on God here, and I'm going to bless my favorite son, my worldly, unbelieving Esau. And so Isaac was in deliberate defiance of God's will. God had promised him, promised that Jacob would receive the blessing. And Isaac, without his wife knowing, without Jacob knowing, says, hey, Esau, listen, go make a nice stew. I'm going to bless you in complete defiance to God's will. So we see a decline, right, in Isaac here. But not only that, I want you to notice in verses 5 through 17, I want you to notice Rebecca's deception. I want you to notice Rebecca's deception. Sir Walter Scott wrote the poem, we're all familiar with this, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Isaac's plan didn't work out because Rebekah was secretly listening to Isaac and Esau. More deception, more secrecy. Dysfunctional. She then repeats to Jacob what she overheard, and then she cooks up a scheme of her own. Still more deception, more secrets. Her plan was simple. Jacob is to go kill two choice goats, and Rebekah 
will cook up a tasty meal for Isaac. Jacob will serve it to his father while pretending to be his brother, thus tricking Isaac into giving him the blessing. Sounds like some soap opera. It's tragic, isn't it, when a husband and wife, once so dedicated to the Lord and each other, have excommunicated each other and no longer discuss God's word or pray together. There's no mention here where they seek the Lord, no mention where they pray together, nothing like they had done before. Now it's literally deceiving each other and keeping things from each other. Knowing that Jacob was chosen to receive the covenant blessing, Rebecca immediately takes matters into her own hands. Amazing, right? How much often have we learned that in Genesis? Right? God had promised things to Abraham, and yet Abraham still decided to connive and scheme to make those blessings a reality. Here, Rebecca's doing the same thing. Right? She takes matters into her own hands to make sure her favorite son got what the Lord had promised him. Had she and Jacob talked with Isaac, with Esau, out hunting, perhaps, right? Isaac would have seen the light and agreed with them. I don't know. But instead, Rebecca chose to control Jacob and deceive her husband. Moms, we're going to be really careful, right, that we do not control our children and we do not use our children to get our husbands. Extremely destructive. And here we see this in the life of Rebecca. She should have just talked to her husband, have her son talk to his dad. But instead, they take matters into their own hands. And so this is amazing, right, about Jacob. When she brings the, brings the plan to Jacob, his concern wasn't, is it right? His concern was, is it safe? That's his concern. He's like, pretty much, what if I get caught? Do you see the difference here? Listen, young people today, right? It's not about is it safe. Is, is it right? Is it right? But the world will tell you, hey, listen, all you got to worry about is is it safe. As long as you don't get caught, you're fine. Not so with God. And so Jacob had no guilt, only fear regarding the plan. In fact, in Genesis 27, there are verses 11 and 12. Jacob says this, I shall seem to be a deceiver. Wrong. <laughs> he wouldn't seem to be a deceiver. He would be deliberately deceiving him. But that's how the world is, right? That's what Satan gets you to think is, well, I would appear to be a deceiver. No, no, you would be a deceiver. You're literally deceiving your dad. But he's concerned that he might get caught looking as if he's deceiving his dad. And so there's a vast difference between appearance and reality when deception is involved. Huge difference. And so Rebecca's philosophy was this. Hey, the end justifies the means. Right? She couldn't trust God to fulfill his plan. She had to help God out because it was for a good cause. But there's no place for deception in the life of a believer. I'll say that again. There is no room for deception in the life of a believer. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says Satan 
is the deceiver. That's who he is. That's not who a believer is. In fact, in John 14, verse 6, we read that Jesus is truth. Truth. And in Psalm 32, verse 2, it says this, Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no what? Deceit or guile. That's right. That's the blessed man, the man who does no deceit. And so, all down uh, the chapter here, we see Isaac being deceived, right, by his senses. His sight has failed him. He was blind. His smell deceived him. He thought from the earthly smell of the garments that Jacob was Esau. His taste failed him. He thought goat was venison. His feeling failed him. He thought a goat skin was Esau's hairy arm, which is really strange. His hearing rang true. Right? Because if you read this story, you'll see that, man, he's listening. He hears Jacob's voice, even though he can't see him, even though he feels hairy and he smells like Esau. But he's again, who are you again? Right? So his hearing rang true, but he couldn't believe what he heard. You see, Isaac made the mistake of trusting his feelings. We should not trust our emotional feelings in spiritual matters. Don't do that. A lot of people do that. Oh, listen, I know God called me to this because, you know, I felt it. You know? Be very careful with your feelings. When it comes to spiritual matters. They can deceive you. Right? Our warrant is the Word of God. That's our warrant. And so, we have the sorry spectacle of a wife deliberately setting out to deceive her husband having first persuaded herself that it was right and proper for her to do so. She would pay the price, of course, in the end. God does not permit his people to get away with that kind of thing. Before the day was over, right, her beloved Jacob, her favorite son, would be fleeing for his very life. Far off in Padam Aram. And guess what? She would never see him again. She would die before he ever comes back. Sad. It's sad. And it's a sorry spectacle. Right? So we see her deception. But then in verses 18 to 29, we see Jacob's defense. Jacob's defense. In cooperating with the scheme, Jacob was only obeying his mother, but he could have refused and suggested that they just face the situation honestly and confront Isaac. But once Jacob put on Esau's clothes and took the savory meal in his hands, the die was cast and he had to play the part successfully. Notice how one lie leads to another. For deception, guys, can only be defended by more deception. It's the only way you can defend it. Okay? And so notice here what Jacob lies about. First, Jacob lies about his name. Okay, in verses 18 and 19, Jacob was an accomplished liar. Who are you? demanded the blind old man. I am Esau. Deliberate deception and lie number one. He goes, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie number two. I have done just as you told me. Lie number three. Please arise, sit, and eat of my venison. Line number four. 
that your soul may bless me. Imagine that. Jacob was able to lie four times in one single breath. But not only that, Jacob lied about his game. Right? He claimed to have obeyed his father's wishes. Lie. And he called the goat's meat my game. Lie. He even gave credit to the Lord for helping him to find the venison so quickly. Lie number five. He not only lied about himself, catch this, but he lied about the Lord. That's scary. It's gotten so bad that he brings the Lord into it. Have you ever come across that sometimes? I have. There are people who will literally bring the Lord in it to validate their deceit and their lies, thinking that somehow that makes it all, you know, believable. He added the name of the living God to his deception to give it added acceptability. Listen, to use the Lord to cover up sin, I believe is a step towards blasphemy. You better be careful. Be careful. So not only did he lie about his name, he lied about his game. He lied again about his claim. Right? In verses 21 to 27, right? Poor old Isaac, right? He's still not convinced. He can hear Jacob's voice, right? But he's still not convinced. He sensed something was wrong. So he asked again that Jacob come near him so he could feel him again, right? He asked again, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Lie number six. How tragic, right, is it to see a son dishonor his father? Nothing worse than a son who dishonors his father. After Isaac had eaten the meal, he asked Jacob to kiss him. And that kiss was the seventh lie, in my opinion, because it was hypocritical. You remember another time there was a kiss, right, that was hypocritical? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I said he lies about his claim, is how could Jacob claim to love his father when he's in the act of deceiving him. How can you kiss your dad while you're deceiving him? That's what he did. And so now the stage was set for the giving of the blessing. And so in essence, Jacob now received from Isaac the blessing, received in the Abrahamic covenant. The blessing basically involved three things. In verse 28, it involved personal prosperity. And in verse 29, it involved preeminence. And in verse, uh, also 29, it involved protection by God. One other note, right, is in this scenario, who is deceiving whom? Right? On the one hand, Jacob is definitely deceiving his father Isaac. However, as we already shared, Isaac, because he thinks Jacob is Esau, thinks he's deceiving Jacob by giving the blessing to Esau. Like, this is crazy. Both intend to deceive the other. The whole point of this, Isaac really thinks he's deceiving Jacob, thinking he's Esau, when the whole time Jacob's deceiving his dad, pretending to be Esau. Only Jacob succeeds. The most amazing point is that through this act of deception, 
God's will is done. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't understand it. Right? We've seen over and over again, right, in the life of Abraham and Isaac here, even in their deception, even in their scheming, even in those things, God's will somehow prevails. Yeah, amen. <laughs> right? Why? Well, because God's choice, Jacob, right, did in fact end up with a blessing. Now, listen, that doesn't justify the deception. <laughs> okay? But it does demonstrate how God works through the weakness of sinful man to accomplish his purpose. Praise God he does that. Because <laughs> right? his purpose would never be accomplished. But God can even work through the weakness of sinful man. And so this story, right, seen in that light, is a great story of the sovereignty of God. All right? It reminds us of the words of Joseph many years later. Right, What they meant for evil this day, in this chapter, right, God was actually using it for good. Both Isaac and Jacob had less than pure motives, but God overruled their bad motives to ensure that his will would ultimately be done. As Jacob left Isaac in his tent, I think both men were satisfied in a job well done, pleased with themselves that they had outwitted the other. Isaac even thought that he had outwitted God. Which leads us to our last one here, or second to last one. In verses 30 to 40, we see Esau's despair. It didn't take long for Isaac and Esau to discover the, the conspiracy, but each man responded differently. First, we read that Isaac trembled greatly in verses 30 to 33. Why was Isaac so agitated? Because that's kind of the connotation there, right? He trembled greatly. It wasn't that he was afraid. He was actually agitated. Well, because he knew that the Lord had overruled his selfish plan, right? That his favorite son didn't, in fact, inherit the blessing. He actually used Isaac to bless Jacob, like he had said, even though Isaac thought he was outwitting God. And so Isaac trembles greatly. He's agitated. But then also Esau, Esau wept and begged for a blessing. Before you feel too sorry for Esau, remember that the problem ultimately started because Esau despised his birthright. We read that verse in Hebrews to start this off. If he had properly valued the birthright, things would have been different. Right? The man who despised his birthright also married two pagan women. This man is now weeping, crying out for his father to bless him. And Hebrews chapter 12 is the commentary on this event. If Esau had repented, it may have been different. But Hebrews tells us that he wept with no repentance, right? His heart was too hard, right? And he couldn't change his father's mind. Esau's tears were not tears of repentance for being an ungodly man. They were tears of regret because he had lost something. He had lost the covenant blessing. Esau wanted the blessing but he didn't want to be the kind of man whom God could bless. I think that's another important point. Okay? Esau wanted that blessing, but he was not the man. God knew that when he chose Jacob. He knew Esau was a worldly man. He knew that he was someone who could, would despise his birthright. Right? That he would marry foreign women, heathen women. He was not the kind of man whom God could bless. 
And so certainly that leads me to ask, man, if I want God's blessing, what kind of man am I that God can bless? Right? There are people today that say, man, I want God's blessing in my life. Maybe God is saying, okay, when you become the man and woman that you're supposed to be, maybe I will. But until then, you can't have God's blessing. It doesn't work that way. And so in a sense, Rebecca and Jacob won, though they gained nothing that God would not have given them anyway. It was Jacob's. It was promised to Jacob. Rebecca's son was to receive the, the blessing. So they did not gain anything from their deception. But I want to point this out. They lost a lot. They lost a tremendous amount. You see, Jacob's life after he obtained his father's blessing was pretty sad. His brother tried to murder him. To avoid that, Jacob was forced to leave his father's house, never to see his mother again. Jacob reaped what he sowed. His uncle Laban deceived him. He was forced to leave him in secret. He experienced the despicableness of his son Reuben, the treachery and cruelty of Simeon and Levi towards the Shechemites. He had to feel the loss of his beloved wife Rachel during childbirth, the birth of Benjamin. He experienced the supposed untimely death of Joseph. And on top of all that, he was forced by famine to go into Egypt where he died in a strange land. Didn't go well for Jacob, guys. Yeah, God's will was done. Rebecca and Jacob perhaps felt maybe they had won, but they had lost a great deal. Do not miss this, is that yes, God can work through the weakness of sinful people, right? But there are also consequences to what we do. Great consequences. And for you young people here, yeah, I encourage you again to know that the decisions you make now can have lifelong effects. Jacob decided to deceive his father and his life was never the same again. And he did it for something that God had already promised him. God was already going to give him the blessing. He lost much. And so our last part here in verses 41 to 45, we see Jacob's departure. Esau, <clears throat> Esau has it in his heart now to kill his brother Jacob. And so at this point, Rebecca, <laughs> she steps back into the picture, right? She's in charge again. Okay? She tells Jacob to flee to visit his uncle, uh, her brother Laban. In Haran, which is about 500 miles away. He tells him to stay with him for a few days until Esau cools down and then return. And so she has to tell Isaac that Jacob is going to look for a bride. Another act of deception. These few days turn into 20 years. And Rebecca never saw him again. And so I'll say it again. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. When first we practice to deceive. And yet God would work through their conniving, right? Their activities only succeeded in doing what God's oracle had already predicted. God's program will triumph, often in spite of human activities. This story is one of parental favoritism, 
which tore their family apart. This story is an account of spiritual insensitivity. All the natural senses play a prominent part, especially the sense of taste in which Isaac prided himself, but which gave him the wrong answer. Reliance on one's senses for spiritual discernment not only doesn't work, but it often messes everything up in your life. And most importantly, the story is about deception. Jacob's only hesitancy was his fear that he would be cursed instead of blessed. Jacob later would learn, just as his grandfather Abraham did, that blessings are given by God, not gained by deceit. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again um, that you can um, work even through our conniving sometimes. Um, We're thankful that um, your program will always triumph, God. Even in this dysfunctional family, where there was so much secrecy, so much deception, distrust amongst this family, yet your will still prevailed. And Lord, uh, we know that that doesn't excuse the deception. In our lives, we want your will to be done without having to go, you know, work it out in spite of us. Lord God, we don't want to be like Jacob, whose life was so difficult from then on because of the deception of him and his mother. Lord God, we want to be those who um, are men and women of truth, just as you are, Lord Jesus. You are truth. And so we ask for your help as we consider this family and how we can practically apply it to our own lives. Um, We just ask this uh, with your Spirit's help. In Jesus' name, amen.